Be good. <laughs> friend. Thanks so much for tuning into the Monkey Tooth Podcast. This is Andrew and my wife Tiffany and our little dog Pele are outside of the van right now playing in a birch tree forest in Fairbanks, Alaska, where we are having an amazing time. We absolutely love it. Alaska has been amazing to us and uh, it's not just because of the scenery and the beautiful mountains and the tundra and the, the trees and the animals. That's all been great. What has been incredibly outstanding to us, anyhow, are the people that we've met, uh, travelers and locals alike. Um, yeah, we've met some some proper characters. Uh, we're actually uh, staying in a, in a yard of uh, a pretty interesting character uh, right now in Fairbanks, who's going to be on the show later. Uh, we just finished recording a podcast with him. But the episode that you're about to hear right now, is, should you continue to listen to this after my little intro, is with the guy we met in Homer, Alaska. Now, this guy is Bill Gilbert. He works for the U.S. State Department and uh, in a diplomatic role as well as uh, just working in the consulate, helping people with visas and things like that. He's worked all over the world, a lot in Latin America, but uh, other locations you'll hear all about it. Really cool guy, really fascinating. We went on a hike with him, got to eat dinner with him and just sort of spend some good quality time. And I, I just, I don't know, I thought he was a great guy and wanted to get his story down on tape and share it with you guys. If you are, um, if you have a particular political lean or maybe you do or do not like the United States, listen to this with an open mind and be willing to, uh, I don't know, expand your horizons and, and maybe hear something you don't agree with or something you do agree with, but voiced in a way you hadn't thought about before. Um, you know, I, I don't, certainly don't necessarily 100% agree with with everything that Bill said, but I certainly agree that the guy saying it is coming from a good place. Uh, I believe in Bill Gilbert, and I believe in what he's doing. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm just glad to have gotten the opportunity to talk to him. I didn't, you know, try to hold his feet to the fire for everything that the U.S. government has ever done. It's not his job to defend it, and it's not my job to push on on the guy who's ostensibly my guest. Um, I, I was just happy to talk to him and hear his points of view. So if you are in any way tweaked by our conversation, I want you to reach out to me at mtp.dog. Let me know what I could have done differently or what you think I could have done differently, or just let me know what you think. But um, yeah, anyhow, I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you go to mtp.dog and... Uh, Read our journal, check out our route map, see where we've been, where we're going, uh, leave us a note. You can go from there to our Patreon page where you can support us for as little as 25 cents a month. Sorry, 25 cents an episode, $1 a month. Or you can just uh, go to our Instagram and Facebook pages and look at pictures and all that sort of stuff if that's your thing. But I want to say, if you have not already gone to iTunes, 
Just hit pause as soon as I'm done with these couple of sentences and go there and write a review. Just tell old iTunes what you think of this show, um, particularly if you think it's good, because that will help people find out about this show. And that's what we want. We want to share the stories that we're getting from the road with the people out there in the world. All right. So uh, I'm going to shut up now and get right on to this episode with Mr. Bill Gilbert. I hope you enjoy it. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. I'm a United States Foreign Service officer. Uh, I'm a diplomat, so my job um, generally involves working for uh, embassies and consulates around the world representing the United States. Um, uh, My specialty is... Uh, public diplomacy, which is basically public affairs work, um, but uh, I've done more work in the consular realm, and that has to do with either um, um, adjudicating visas for people that, that want to visit the United States or want to emigrate to the United States, and also to take care of and um, help U.S. citizens abroad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where, where are you originally from? I'm originally from the state of Rhode Island. I'm mm-hmm. here in a state, the state of Alaska, that's I think about 500 times bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and as far away from Rhode Island as you can get and still be in North America. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm pretty far away. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, what led you into State Department? Were you? Uh, well, military? it's interesting because I uh, I started um, working for the government more than 30 years ago, um, and um, I I was. Um, I was a business major at Boston University, didn't want to work in the corporate world, but wanted to travel, wanted to get paid to travel. Uh, so I was looking at either the Peace Corps or the military, but I had a lot of really heavy student loans mm. and I needed to make money. My parents didn't, we, I wasn't from a very um, economically privileged, privileged background. So I decided to join the Air Force mm. and the Air Force uh, sent me first to Northern Maine and then they sent me, which was... <laughs> A little bit like here, except more sparse and colder. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went uh, to Panama, and I got thrust into the um, invasion of Panama. I arrived like three months before Whoa. the U.S. sent like 30,000 troops down. Yeah. It was during the time of Manuel Noriega, mm-hmm. and that was something. And then I ended up staying in Panama almost four years, got married to a Panamanian, had a kid in Panama, um, and by then my Spanish had gotten really, really good. And so, um, then I joined later, I joined, I, I wanted to get a PhD in Latin American literature. Mm. I wanted to be a college professor. I was very interested in colonial Latin American narratives, yeah. chronicles of the, of the, uh, initial encounter between the Europeans and Native Americans. You're a big fan of atrocity. Narrativization. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm. I'm. Um, no. I'm. I'm very interested in how that all happened. I mean, it is a pretty horrible thing. Oh, yeah. um, I went from there to um, uh, teaching in private schools, private high schools, Spanish. Mm-hmm. Really enjoyed it. I started a really neat exchange program in Panama, where we we brought North American kids to to a, a small town in the interior of Panama. Uh, did did community service with. Um, a um, a shelter for malnourished children, and they stayed in families where they had to speak Spanish, but the kids were really well matched, and so they enjoyed themselves, and it was fantastic. The families were warm and welcoming. It was a great program, 
And I did that for a bunch of years and decided to stay with the military. I was in the Air Force, um, but in the reserves. Mm -hmm. And I managed to figure out how to get to work for the U.S. Southern Command in Miami, going down to Latin America and doing conferences and working um, in U.S. embassies in Latin America as a military officer. Yeah. But today, the concept of how an embassy runs um, is pretty cool because um, the military, when they're working in a particular country, unless they're at war, fall under the command of the ambassador, who's oh. the president's representative in that country, okay. which means the ambassador, you know, calls the shots. And the military officers have bosses in the Pentagon and in Miami at U.S. Southern Command, but in the field, they will, the ambassador has authority yeah and and the military officers uh, are very aware of that and they wow. they follow the authority of the, the chain of command of the chain of command of the ambassador within the embassy so they're yeah. just a member of what they call the country team mm -hmm. and so as a u.s officer i got to do that in venezuela which is fascinating because it was headed in kind of a sad direction under mm. hugo chavez and then Shortly after that, I went to Nicaragua for a year, and it was kind of the, the, the opposite. The country was um, seeking relations with the United States for the first time since the Sandinista Revolution in 1979. And I was one of the first uh, United States military officers to open relations with the Sandinista army. And that was really cool. Yeah, I can imagine. What was that, what was that like? I mean, it was great, because I like these guys. They were... How did they feel about you or about Americans? What was the... you know they were? You'd think they'd be more resentful, <laughs> considering that we were their enemy when yeah. they were young. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, now they were the guys in charge, and you know they were grandparents, and you know had their ranches, and you know they weren't super wealthy most of them, but they had comfortable lives, and they were leaders. Mm. And um, a lot of them had been trained by the Russians. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Some of them spoke Russian. Uh, they'd spent a lot of time in Cuba, um, but I liked them. I admired them. They they did amazing things. They were they were really effective military on a very small budget. Hmm. They didn't waste anything, and they won their war against the U.S. backed uh, Contra yeah. rebels. They prevailed. They came out on top, and and most of them were really cool. Yeah. I was proud of working with them. I liked working. That's with them. great. That's and they great. weren't anti-U.S. Hmm. In fact. A lot of the work that we did, myself and my bosses, and, and um, it led to like I don't think they really knew what to expect from us. Yeah, because we were so um, unknown to them. All we were was the enemy. But now, you know, the Cold War had been over for uh, over twenty years, and they were like, well, you know, I mean, the United States isn't that bad. <laughs> they were open, and they really were. And I think we we made a difference. We changed attitudes and perceptions, and. You know, they, they, they dialogued with us and we, we, we had good relations with them. Yeah. yeah. So when you're, when you're doing like a, a basically a, almost a PR job, essentially, or yeah. a, a, that, that relations job with, uh, or diplomatic relations right. would be a better <laughs> yeah. way to put it. What, I mean, are you hosting concerts or are you, what do you, what yeah. are you All are sorts exporting of like American culture? Yes. Like a lot bringing... of like cultural attache work or mm. press work. I mm. prefer the cultural side. Yeah. Have some know. fun. You know? Yeah. I mean, like we would bring, uh, you know, artists and musicians from the United States over to the, the countries that we, that we were working in. And, uh, so what were you, were you like helping find venues, find artists? Yeah. What, what, what all was your role there? Absolutely. And also setting up speaking opportunities for our ambassador mm. and other leaders within the, yeah. within the embassy, 
uh, doing a lot of work with youth. I did a lot of work with uh, sports dis- diplomacy. Yeah. You know, um, working with underprivileged kids in in different areas. Yeah. And um, working in sponsoring sporting events, and then you know at some point we'd bring the ambassador out there and he'd talk with the kids. That's great. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Yeah. And I think it's effective. I think it's it's money well spent. better than dropping bombs or paying someone else to yeah, <laughs> selling selling something well, diplomats are all about trying to avoid war and keep yeah, the peace yeah uh, I, I, a little bit different from being in the military yeah. but you know what i love about um w- the way we set things up in the united states now um you know as i said with the exception of war mm-hmm. uh during peacetime the military personnel that work in a given country fall under the command of the ambassador, the ambassador who yeah. works for the state department mm-hmm. and when we sell um the United States sells military equipment, military um, uh, systems to other countries. It all falls under the um, the oversight of the State Department. Oh, really? Yeah. Boy, Which I would. Is, that's that's a job I would not want. <laughs> There's um, a lot to answer for. <laughs> right. No, and, I, and oh, I'm Jesus, I'm so. not going to go in because yeah. I. Yeah. I I worked on that in Nicaragua, mm. right? But it was a happy story. Oh, that's good. Because our ambassador Need more uh, of those. was a public diplomacy officer, and she was very enlightened, lovely lady. Uh, and she uh, she said, "We're not gonna we're not gonna sell we- we're not gonna give weapons. We it wasn't to, we were they didn't have any money. Mm. We gave them grants. So in countries that that don't have a lot of money, uh, the United States often will you know um, have a budget set aside to give grants, and it's. You know, it, it's generally to further some U.S. objective in, in the region. Sure. Which sounds uh, maybe... Um, it, it is what it is. It, but in I... <laughs> but in Nicaragua, look, these people had tons of weapons. They've been at war for 25 yeah. years. We weren't going to give them more weapons. What's yeah. the point in that? Yeah. So instead, we went out and got them radios. We basically focused on trying to... Um, they have a lot of natural disasters there, a lot of yeah. volcanoes. Yeah. And, and um, they've, they've had hurricanes and earthquakes and earthquakes terrible earthquakes oh, yeah. there Brilliant. and so we bought them radios we bought them you know rescue equipment yeah. i think that was money well spent and it was something you know for yeah. a really good purpose and they appreciated it and yeah you know that i mean obviously we're trying to buy influence it's, it's, sure it's yeah we're... plain and clear we give you all this great equipment and yeah. so listen to us yeah and we'd like to give you more equipment how yeah. about listen to this you know so i, I often see the the working of a country, not just exclusively the U.S., but just a country, uh, they seem like businesses to me. They're they're set up more mm. like a, a for-profit business, uh, in in insofar huh. as the way that their the infrastructure works and yeah. the goal, you know, um, and, and a lot of things get sort of turned into commodity. You know, the mm. the labor force works the same. I mean, what you're describing is is as an office scenario that if you took out keywords. And put in, in other words, it would be, hey, we uh, outwork for Kellogg, and we're you know bringing 
uh, Rice Krispies to the Philippines or whatever it is. You know, there's <laughs> the, that sort of thing. I mean, it's almost the same sort of um, apparatus to, uh, to in, it, from my well, limited we, experience. Yeah, and a lot of public diplomacy work has to do with, you know, improving our brand. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I mean, we use that language sure. because we want our, you know, our brand to be looked upon favorably and people yeah. want, you know, to, to want to have our brand. Yeah. Uh, one thing I, I, I would like to say, which I think is really interesting, is because, um, well, you asked me how I got in the State Department. Yeah. And after working in the military for a while, I, I was teaching school, I'd been in academia, and I'd been in the military. And mm. I thought, well, the, the marriage of those two things is the State Department. Wow. And my dad, who, my dad wanted, uh, he made three suggestions in my life that turned out to be fabulous. They were all three things he wanted to do, and he never did, for various reasons, but, you know, that's his decisions sure, sure. he decided not to pursue these but he suggested me to do them and as most teenagers you know i said that's oh, my dad i'm not really not gonna listen to this and you know he didn't do it why would i do something you know that he he, he himself hasn't gone and done but it turned out to be great recommendations there were three one was learn a foreign language and i was in high school didn't like foreign languages never thought i'd do it and today i'm fluent in spanish uh, i speak so a couple other languages a little bit, but and then I'm about to study Arabic now, yeah, so it's yeah. going to be a challenge. The second thing he said was join the U.S. Foreign Service. Can you imagine? He told me that when I was 17. Wow. I didn't even know what it was. Um, but he had looked into it and um, uh, decided not to do it. But um, I remember him telling me that, and, I, you know, <laughs> sure enough, that's what I eventually mm. did. And the third was uh, the military. And he had been in the military, enlisted, and he said, well, you know, you should think about being an officer in the military. Get a college degree and then go in the military as an officer. And I did that. And even though I am not by nature a martial person and I, you know, I kind of a duck or a swan in the, the duck pond or in the military, um, I, uh, you know, it's one of the best things I ever did for myself. And I'm proud that I did it, that I, I went through it and I was able to contribute and perform even though that's not my nature yeah. yeah yeah and i always told people i was kind of like the canary in the mine shaft you know because i'm very pro u.s military mm. in an academia and in more liberal circles there's this fear of the military and this unfair stereotype that you know military people are all radical you yeah. know right wing sure um and it's that's not true um part of it might be true but I mean, they are dedicated to the profession of arms. There's no doubt about yeah, that. Yeah. But there are also a lot of awesome people. And it provides, the U.S. military provides opportunities for a lot of kids from the inner cities or from far, you know rural areas yeah. that wouldn't have opportunities otherwise. Is it not one of the biggest employers? Yeah, in the, in it the, is. It's yeah, interesting. Yeah. But it's also very progressive. Mm. And it's what, what like way? race relations in the United States, a military, while, while not perfect, sure. they're probably better than any university in the United States, honestly. Really? You know, because for the most part, you're judged on what you do yeah. at work, right? Yeah. And, you know, they, people look at your rank to determine how important you are. Mm. And if you perform your, your duty, um, you know, you're respected. It's interesting. Yeah. And, yeah. You don't really hear about that. I've... It's very, very good. All you hear about is when something goes wrong sure. or is yeah. something bad. Yeah, because they're they're open, they're open to yeah. to oversight, and, and as it should be. I mean, yeah. if, if you think about yeah. what it is, I mean, it's a. It, my my son's in the army, and, and uh, he's having a very good experience. You know? Where is is he stationed? He's abroad? stationed in, in the United States right okay. now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so um, you know, I joined the U.S. Foreign Service. Another thing I might say about the U.S. Foreign Service that I think is really interesting and worth it's it's worth people knowing about this because I think it's cool. Is it used to be they used to joke and say it was all white, no, it was all uh, 
Pale male in Yale. <laughs> U.S. Foreign Service. And, and like um, women could not be in the Foreign Service unless they were single. If they got married, they had to get out. Oh, this is like before like the 1970s. Yeah. And most women that were in were like secretaries or, you know, yeah. they fetched the coffee, that sort of thing. Right. And it all, you know, with the Equal Rights Movement, um, that all changed. And it, co of course, didn't change overnight. Sure. But I would say by now it's, you know, it's changed a lot. And yeah, we're maybe 40, 40% female, 60% male. Um, a lot of the ambassadors, a lot of ambassadors are women now. Yeah, that's great. Um, and um, what I was gonna, what I was gonna say about the State Department, which I love, is not only that, but there's a tremendous diversity of backgrounds. Yeah. And so there's, unlike before, where you had to go to certain prep schools and you had to go to Ivy League schools or whatever to be, you know, invited into the club. Today it is entirely transparent, completely um, open to any. American U.S. citizen um, that's an adult. You have to be between the ages of 18 and 60. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, if you can do well on the, in, in the hiring process, you, you'll get hired. Hmm. And so in my, you know, when I entered them in my initial class that we had there, we had people that ran restaurants. We had actors. We had lots of lawyers. Um, lots of people with military backgrounds, uh, but people with, uh, people, one guy was a comedian, professional <laughs> comedian. Um, and so people from really wide, diverse backgrounds. Yeah. And that was okay. In fact, I think the foreign service looks for that because we're representing America. Yeah. If so you're pushing a brand. <laughs> right. Why would we want to only show one type of U.S. citizen, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, we're a very diverse and, and, uh, and big country. Yeah. So I like that a lot because yeah. you just go take the test and it's free to do it. You can take it anywhere in the United States. They have test centers in every state, I think. Hmm. And uh, if you do well in the process, you, you you get a fair shake at being hired. It's not easy to get hired, but you, sure. you can, yeah. 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 So how many different countries have you, have you worked in? Uh, I've worked so far as a diplomat in... Um, only three countries. I've done three tours. I'm about to do my fourth. Yeah, you, you were just in Ecuador, right? I was just in Ecuador. My first yeah. was in Ciudad Juarez in Mexico, which okay. was really interesting. Yeah. They've all been very interesting. The second one was in Singapore, wow. doing public diplomacy work. And the third was in um, Ecuador. Yeah. Which... I mean, on a personal level, that was the most satisfactory because, you know, I'm fluent in Spanish. It's a gorgeous country. Yeah. And my wife and I really, really enjoy that. Yeah. Ecuador. Uh, Singapore, I worked all the time. Mm. But did some fascinating things working for a super cool ambassador. And then uh, in Ciudad Juarez, I was there at the height of, like, when it was one of the most violent cities in the world. Yeah. And I never personally witnessed any violence but every day we'd hear about some attack that was like really close to where we worked or lived wow. and that was really heavy because um i interviewed uh, people from ciudad juarez that wanted to get visas to the united states and there was like this collective trauma in that city where almost everybody was affected by it and the murders were terrible but they were the tip of the iceberg underneath that you had all sorts of other crimes. I think the worst was like the uh, sh the protection money that you had to pay if you ran a business. Mm. And, you know, you basically, you lived in fear. Mm. Because if someone from the cartels wanted to push you around, they, they no, could. Yeah. And it, it, no one could protect you. And yet, it also has a 
huge number of factories and a lot of jobs. And so a lot of people were trapped. They couldn't leave because... That's where they worked. That's where they worked. Yeah. And, and the jobs were good, mm. despite the situation there. So I'll never forget one of my first interviews when I was giving visa interviews. There was a young man that came up to the window. He's very honest with me. He said, I want to go to the United States because the gangs are trying to get me to join them. And I don't want to do it, but they're not going to give me a choice. He goes, and so I want to go to the United States. And I had to refuse him. I had to say, I'm sorry, you don't qualify for the visa in the United mm. States, because he was basically telling me that he was not coming back if we gave him this visa. Mm. And, um, you know, I had to say no, because that was my job. My job was to determine, are you going to use this visa appropriately, or, mm. or are you going to go in the United States and not come back on a tourist visa? And, and he, he didn't get the visa, which was kind of sad. Although we, we approved a lot of visas there because sure, sure. a lot of people just wanted to go and shop at Walmart. <laughs> they lived oh. on the border and, That's you sad. know, they liked Walmart. Oh. So they could they could pay 50 cents for, for take mm. a bus to take them across the border, yeah. which is like a 10-minute ride. Yeah. So if you came in and just said that, you know, and we, you, we believed you, yeah. we often just approved the visa. I, I really liked El Paso. We rode through yeah. there on our bikes yeah. and found it to be... Um, our impression this was that that's like the future of America, Apache. what America is going to look like in the future. Because it was just it wasn't just Hispanic. I mean, it was this wild melting pot of lots of different cultures. Yeah, and, uh, there's a lot know. of U.S. military there too. Yeah, yeah. it's an, it's an interesting place. It was yeah. beautiful and crazy windy and just yeah. I mean, it was just kind of an intense uh, experience to be there. But it was also uh, it was fun and alive and and kind of cool. I and, liked and, it. Yeah. yeah, I like the area. It's a bummer to look at the the Rio Grande. Yeah, it's all it, like, dried just, up. Yeah, yeah. You just just see these concrete embankments. It's much prettier prettier up in New Mexico. And I, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I hear downriver there's some water it, it gets, too. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's all been diverted off, I guess. Right, uh, but seeing that, all the things that you kind of worry about with America and all the things that look kind of cool about America, you can kind of see it all right there. And yeah. Texas is an incredible place, anyway. Well, so is California. Sure, you know, sure. See a lot. Yeah, there as well the future mm -hmm. is usually yeah. comes out of california yeah 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 i can see that <laughs> one thing i wanted to say though is that uh in this interview because it, it it was one of the things that that made me really happy i'm doing this job is that um in singapore we had an ambassador he's really a really extraordinary individual he's part of a small group of people that started the obama campaign oh, so really? he's really close friends with a former president that's cool and um, he he was a Canadian who naturalized the United States, and so he was an immigrant yeah. who is now the U.S. ambassador to uh, Singapore. He was not born; he was born in Canada, but oh. went to college in the United States and fell in love with the country and became successful. And uh, yeah, and so he be, he was named the U.S. ambassador to Singapore. He's not a professional diplomat. Um, he came out of a, you know 
private sector as a as a as a trial attorney, <laughs> and um, but he he was one of the key instrumental people in in, in um, getting a win for the for the Obama campaign in Florida, the wow. state of Florida. So the president sent him to uh, Singapore to be our ambassador there, and he just made you really proud to be an American. He first of all, I will say, when the Republican, oh, we had a lot of congressional delegations come through there. Probably 70 or 80 percent of them were Republican. This guy was clearly a Democrat. You know, he was nominated by a Democratic president, and there, and almost to, uh, you know, with to, without exception, the Republican Congress people love this guy. Yeah, just one and of those infectious. Exactly, and they lovely. came away thinking, why can't it be more, you know, like this? You know, like he just was able to, yeah, to bridge gaps and you know make friendships. But what's more, what he did representing the United States in Singapore, which I was an integral part of it because I was setting up a lot of his events, was he went out and he told the story about, you know, how much he loves the United States, why he loves the United States, how he was an immigrant that came with next to nothing. He he was not from a wealthy family and he made his way there. And um, how, um, you know, it that's been the key to success in the United States for the, the success of the country and will continue to be. And his favorite question to answer was people that said, well, you know, how would you comment on the obvious decline of the United States and the rise of China? Yeah. And he loved to take that question because he didn't, he wasn't disrespectful to China, but he just said, that's not true. And I'll prove it. I'll show you why it's not true. He said, where is all the innovation coming? Mm-hmm. Not all, but the lion's share of innovation in the world coming from now. It's coming from the United States, you know? Um, apps, Facebook, um, it, it, you name it. Any l- large number and array of, of startups that have revolutionized the world, Uber, hmm. Airbnb, they're all coming out of the United States. Yeah. And we still have you know, the most remarkable university system in the world and the best and the brightest small around the world come and study in the United States. Yeah. Um, and you know, what language now do people in the world want to speak? Everybody wants to speak English. It's, it's un- this is... No other era of human history have you seen a language rise to such a, a level of... of um... D- didn't come from U.S. <laughs> no, it didn't originally come from the United States, but the reason that it's being, said, you know... No, no it's true, yeah. but, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is no, it, it, I, I, he made it easy to do my job because yeah, it's like, yeah. wow, you know, this, these are all really great things about our country and, and we get to promote them. Yeah, um, I mean, it's infectious. Right now I'm thinking, I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm... I'm, I'm like, ah, oh, man, that is great. It's exciting. And we'll be back. We'll be back there. We'll be back there. It, 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 what's happening now is, is uh, you know, there's a reaction a little bit to sure. the message that that ambassador had. Yeah. Um, but it's not going to prevail. Yeah. The 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 United what that what makes us great is what our ambassador in Singapore mm. was talking about. Yeah. And and that that hasn't gone away. Right. Uh, I mean, I think that's just to to. The, that sort of idea of, and I don't know that you're necessarily promoting exceptionalism, but the idea of no. of greatness, um, it, there is a difference and a distinction between those no, two things. No, we had that there. conversation yeah. last night. I, I, I do not like the idea of ex- exceptionalism. Yeah, I think yeah. it's arrogant. I mean, I think that right. the United States is great. I, I, per, I honestly believe that, but I believe that humbly, not, right. not in the sense that we're somehow... We figured it out and everybody yeah, else we're is fucking naturally it up. better yeah. than other people. No, no. no. in fact... Uh, Clearly, it's something about the story that we have in the 
the opportunity that we offer. Yeah. You know, and then people from other places come and make it theirs. It's sure. pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. And, and when we do, when we do our best to live up to the ideals that we've set out as a as a country and as a company, <laughs> you know, when we actually achieve those, it is it is great. It is wonderful, and I my we have such an amazing time traveling around and and the freedoms that we have to do what well, we're doing and in this i'd like to address one incredible. other thing here too right because all right so you may say i'm a lackey for the united states i don't know but <laughs> not <laughs> look, in the pejorative but look, I mean, I've, I've seen a lot yeah, right? yeah and i'm a liberal from from the northeast yeah, all right yeah. the canary in the mine shaft remember that yeah. now and i've had a long association with the u.s military mm. and i'm not going to talk about what happened prior to the end of the Cold War, because sure. the United States did some things that I don't think we should be very proud of, to be yeah. honest with you. Sure. Yeah. But since the end of the Cold War, since 1989, when I was in the invasion of Panama, um, the United States has not done that. And in fact, we've done an awful lot of good in, the, in, uh, in Latin America, mm. um, and I've been witness to that. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine... It's funny in the in the U.S. Air Force, uh, they're the least enlightened of the three services. I can say this because I'm no longer in the military. <laughs> um, and as much as I like the military, there's yeah. something about the Air Force that kind of bugs me. Really? And, and the reason is is because they, they're they're technocrats, right? I mean, they're they're all about flying airplanes and making sure everything's perfect and there aren't any accidents, hmm. which is an attitude that or a sort of a philosophy that it, it works for what they do, right? But hmm. So they they also talk about how they want a lot of their officers to be learn other languages and they want to promote their officers working with other services and working in other countries and but they don't really mean it because you don't get promoted doing that mm. um, in the air force in the army you do um, you can make a good career in the in the uh, in in the marine corps uh, learning languages and and traveling around the world and the navy's kind of in the middle mm. but what's interesting about all of that is um, that. The, um, despite that, I had a friend, he came up with me as a lieutenant, and he had a really good career. He became a full colonel, which is, that's, that's, that's an accomplishment. And he did it working for the United States Southern Command as the human rights officer. Oh, really? That's cool. Because that was important to the four-star yeah. commander in Southcom. Yeah. That's what we were pushing. That was a priority. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of training that the U.S. military officers—they, you know—they used to run this School of Americas, which uh, was connected back in the day with you know torture and training dictators and things like that. They moved it. They changed its name. It's Fort Benning, Georgia now. It's called the Western Hemisphere Institute for Security oh Studies or something like that. No, no, no. But <laughs> now, like a, a, a large a large part of what they're man, mandatory there, what they have to teach, is courses on human rights. Yeah. And this is no joke. This isn't like window washing right, or, right. or, you know, just trying to hide. No, 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 no. Yeah. And when we, whenever the U.S. military um, sends somebody or pays for someone to do something, to go to the United States for a trip or training, they yeah. vet them. Mm. And if there's the slightest concern that there are any human rights pers- uh, violations in that individual's background, they don't get to go. Yeah. And their United States military doesn't want anything to do with them. Uh, and it's changed. The whole... Yeah. Attitude has changed. Most of what the milita- U.S. military does in Latin America today is, you know, literally build bridges, clinics. Yeah. They send, they'll send ships into different ports in Latin mm-hmm. America and then offer free medical services to to underprivileged populations. It's it's awesome, and I'm a big fan. 
I'm I'm very undereducated in this in this area. I mean, so, I witness this. I'm yeah, telling no, you. I, you believe, know? I mean, I'm taking you at your word. And, what, and we don't get that word out. Sure. No one knows this, yeah. right? I mean, the people that we help know right. it. Yeah. Uh, and it's all part of an embassy plan, right? You know, mm. The country team plan. Sure. So it's not... The military is subservient to this, and they right. just bring their assets because they've got right. boats and airplanes that can fly things in quickly and yeah. help and, and do these amazing humanitarian projects. And we don't get good press for it because yeah. we're, like, slow at that <laughs> sort of thing. And well, the generals know about it. They're trying to fix it, but... Um, uh, anyway, I'm talking about Latin America. Sure, yeah, yeah. That, so that leads me to the next thing you you were talking about, and, and I do actually really want to get back to that school that you're talking about, the uh, with the malnourished children and the um, oh, you know, the sure, exchange sure. program. But yeah. uh, before we go back, I want to go a little bit forward and talk. You said you were going to learn some Arabic. So you, <laughs> yeah. we're talking about Latin America wow, and how we're the going U.S. Down a completely different road. <laughs> well, the U.S. is doing quite well in Latin America. You're heading into a place where I would I would argue, even at my my uneducated. Uh, viewpoint that we have not done particularly well. In fact, that we have um, severely damaged uh, the area of the world that you're heading towards. And some good uh, good brand management almost seems like, I, I don't even know how you do it. I mean, we've, we've really, talk about I, human rights. I'm not really going to be able there. to talk about this with any authority, only yeah, because I haven't, haven't done been it there yet. yet. Yeah. You know, I haven't been, I've never been to that part of the world. Mm. Um, I'm learning Arabic, which I'm a little bit scared about because it's going to be hard. <laughs> it's a tough <laughs> it's language. Yeah. tough language. Um, maybe I'll have to let you know in three years yeah. because... Well, uh, what's your sense of, in heading into it? Do you feel like you're heading into a quagmire or do you feel like... Uh, you seem like a pretty upbeat and positive dude. Do you feel... Well, I'm, my job there is going to be consular work and mm. that'll be basically just involved in visa work. So okay. it's more methodical, less controversial. Mm. I mean, the policies that are set by the president and by Congress are not are very controversial. There's no doubt about yeah. that. But yeah. I, my job is just to implement whatever the yeah. immigration and uh, the pol- laws are and the policies are. And you'll, on, you'll be seeing so, you'll be seeing people from all over the Middle East that that are, are possibly, making their way to yeah. To a lot Lebanon. of Syrians go to go to Lib- yeah. uh, to Lebanon Lebanon now yeah. for visas. I think uh, yeah. So and I mean, I imagine a lot of yeah, a lot of people from a lot of countries that can get there are heading there and, and looking for refuge and for yeah i'm sure it's going to be a, a, a much different job yeah. and you know i mean when i'm not unaware of the sure yeah of the history there and yeah it'll be challenging mm. yeah and i yeah there's a little bit of trepidation in, in heading there right now i um, just i think about that you know what you were saying the uh the sort of the greatness and the opportunity and the beauty and the things that we can the positive things that the that the american experiment can can shine upon the world trying to take that narrative and um you're dealing with a syrian who you can't determine whether or not you feel they're dangerous or and and they clearly are coming from a place where there's help how do you square those two things i don't know that's it's just a your job to me seems so fraught with uh because you seem emotional and really you care and you give a shit and you and you love this country yeah and you love human beings you're not just a America first kind of guy. No. You know, you're doing this to, to bridge cultures. Um, I just don't, I'm, I don't know how, I mean, I'm glad there are people who, who are as um, forthright and considerate as you are doing your job, but uh, what is that, what's the emotional toll there when you have, like the story you told me about the guy that you had to say, no, you can't come in. You just told me the truth. Yeah. You can't come in. Yeah. <laughs> you're in danger, but you can't come to my country. 
one thing that makes it easy. Okay, so let me go back and it, there's a fundamental difference between tourist visas and immigrant visas. Sure. Uh, tourist visas are at the discretion, and it's an invitation to come to the United States, or in, you know, and, and this is true for any country in the world, right? right? right. Uh, we'll give you the visa because we, yeah, go ahead. We we think you're going to be fine to go and visit the United mm-hmm. States, and we'd like you to do that. Um, but it's an invitation; it's not a right. Mm-hmm. And if you turn someone down, you know, you're saying, "Oh, you can't do a vacation." Well, big deal. Now, if it's more than a vacation, then you made the right choice by saying, you know, because sure. that means that person wasn't going to use the visa correctly. They were mm-hmm. lying to you and telling you they're going to take a vacation when they really weren't. They right. were going to live or work there. Right. If you're going to live or work there, then you should ask for a work visa or yeah. for an immigrant visa. Um, and so on the immigrant visa side, it's governed by laws. So as a consular right. officer, you know, I follow the laws. Right, right. You know, what, whatever they may be. Uh, so, and I have my personal opinions about immigrant yeah. Law and I and I think there should be a lot of changes made in them, um, yeah. which I won't go into in this interview. But Fair um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I mean I get your point, and I'm a little bit. There's a little bit of trepidation. I'm I'm not sure what I'm headed into. Um, yeah. uh, what reassures me is that unlike public diplomacy work, where you're crafting a message and you really need to put your heart and soul in it, and you're trying to persuade people, in the consular job uh, that I'll be doing. Uh, pretty much, uh, I'm just either implementing the law or making a, a, a judgment call on on what this person's and I think this person's intentions are yeah. for going to the United States. And yeah. so there's re- very little emotion yeah. in that job. There shouldn't be. Um, yeah, I guess I guess not. Yeah, no, and 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 so um, I, I'd rather do that type of work right now. Mm. Um, and maybe that sounds cowar- co- cowardly, uh, but I. Um, I loved doing the public diplomacy in Singapore because it was so upbeat. Yeah. And I worked a lot, I will say this, I worked a lot with Muslim youth groups mm. in Southeast Asia. And I think I did a lot of good. I really do. I mean, I think I connected with those young people and that they had a much more favorable impression of the United States than they had had previously because it was a person-to-person contact. Mm. And we did fun things with them. And um, we listened to them and, you know, um, supported them. Yeah. And uh, that was really, really cool work. Yeah. Um, could I do that in the Middle East? Yeah, I think so. But I probably should be younger. And <laughs> and, uh, and and you have to speak Arabic really, really, really well. well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I, I, in, I think I could do that in Latin America. And yeah. I think I'd enjoy it a lot. Oh, I sure. think I'd be good. I think I would earn my money. I'd yeah. earn my paycheck. I can imagine. Yeah. I did in Singapore. I know I did. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's let's jump back on that on that um, on the exchange program because you oh sure so you were you were teaching in uh, St. Louis yeah a private school in St. Louis Missouri mm-hmm. uh, great progressive fantastic uh, school that taught manners it taught a whole education it wasn't just yeah. about academics yeah called the John Burroughs School uh, I loved working there I think very highly the school my son went there and That's he great. got a great education in every sense of the word. And um, so I'd actually started the program uh, um, before I started working in St. Louis. I taught in a prep school in Boston. Mm-hmm. And I actually started it from there. And what's what's the name of it? Uh, the school in Boston was the Noble and Greeno School. It's another excellent um, small private school. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, so the, the program, you were taking kids from the States, bringing them to uh, Panama. To Panama. Yep. And uh, like sort of embedding with families. And, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a cool place to go because 
Unfortunately, a lot of places where programs take students um, are tourist destinations. So they're crammed with tourists, and a lot of people speak English, and a lot of times the families speak English. Yeah. And so the most effective immersion programs are those programs where you really have to speak in the target language in Spanish yeah. uh, in that case. And um, in this program, we were not in a tourist area. We're in an area where there's no tourists. Yeah. And that was great because it's just a small town. that, But it wasn't an impoverished town. It was like right. a pretty vibrant place. And mm -hmm. the families that we placed our, our students um, were, you know, they were middle-class families, really interesting people. They were yeah. interested in hosting American students. Yeah. They didn't speak English, but uh, they they had great um, interactions. And, and we, I had a homestay coordinator from the town who was just gifted. She knew exactly how to do this, and she made amazing, I mean, the, like these teenagers would meet and they'd be like best friends like two days later speaking in Spanish. That's fantastic. Some of them actually went to the United States, oh, but great. they arranged it. My program was not an exchange program, so they, they would arrange that on their own. You know, the parents, sure, the sure. U.S. kids would invite the Panamanian kid to come up later and spend some time in the United States. I like the idea that the kids that you brought down were not just learning Spanish language skills in the, you know, in the most utilitarian sense, but they were, I mean, having to emote, they were like playing with kids and like malnourished kids were coming in yeah. from communities around and being sort of supported in this, right. in this environment. And these kids from the States were, I mean, it's one, one thing the, to learn how to ask where the toilet is. It's another thing to, uh, to, to entertain a child and, and get into that sort of, I mean, heartstring pulling. I'll give you a very specific right. anecdote. Uh, uh, one of the kids that I brought down there came from a very wealthy family. Um, and a very influential family, nice family, like good people. And um, this boy was born with a cleft palate. And because his family was wealthy and had access, you know, to some of the best hospitals in the United States and the world, um, he had his cleft palate, you know, operated on, and, and you could barely tell mm -hmm. now. But when we went into the shelter for malnourished children, he immediately gravitated towards a child with a cleft palate, mm. and there was no nothing they could do for the child because there weren't resources to right, right. to operate on him. And that little boy stayed with oh. the the boy from the the teenager from the United States, yeah. and they bonded. And uh, he had such a good experience. Uh, both did, but the teenager did that. He actually came back on the trip for a second wow. second stay. That's beautiful. And, uh, yeah, he's a really good kid. He ended up going to Harvard, and, you know, I don't know what he does now, but he's going to be a very successful, influential person someday. Mm. But he's good people, and he sat down on the floor in that, you know, children's shelter in rural Panama and played with that little boy, you know, for about three weeks every wow. day. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Um, we're we're looking forward to being in Panama, and that's something we'd like to actually see it's if, great if at all possible. Yeah, yeah. we. Um, and you're going to be driving through Panama, so yeah. uh, you know there's so many places to stop along the way. Uh, yeah. And um, you know, Costa Rica gets all the press, and it's a lovely country. Sure. <laughs> but Panama is just as awesome, and it doesn't have all the international attention, which yeah. in some ways is a good thing. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Particularly if you're looking for something off the beaten path. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, can you can you help? So we we get a lot of people who are worried about us and where we're traveling. Okay. Um, and and we also hear a lot of worry about 
the pressure on our borders that we're just under siege from this wave of immigrants who just want to take all our jobs. No. <laughs> Great. No. We'll put that one aside. So the, the fear of traveling in Latin America. Now, I don't share this fear. So if you have an expertise in this area. Would you maybe say a few things to assuage the grief? And I'd be worry? really, really careful in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Really careful. Um, I'm not saying don't travel there. I'm sure if you take reasonable precautions, you'll you'll probably be fine. There's a lot of crime there. Sure. A lot of violent crime. Um, we used to really encourage U.S. citizens not to travel by land in Mexico. Right. Um, but I think it. You know, if you do your research, you travel during the daytime. You um, you stay on major routes, uh, you'll probably be fine. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, Central America has a lot of problems with crime as well. Right. But I have a lot of friends that live there and work there, and they move about, and um, you know, they take reasonable precautions, and they haven't had problems. Yeah. What would you um, say is a reasonable precaution? What do you mean by that? <laughs> um, just be aware of your surroundings. Um, don't, um, don't be a target of opportunity. Um, Travel during the daytime, not at night, if you can, if you can help it. Yeah. Um, maybe um, I guess um, probably you know try give the impression that you don't have something worth taking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know your van's <laughs> kind of conspicuous. Good luck in a giant but, red shiny van. <laughs> but it's so unusual that maybe they'll right. you know. Believe you, we were going to stop washing it as soon as we head south. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. We'll just keep the undercarriage clean. And get a few dents and yeah, you know, yeah. Take a sledgehammer to it in certain places <laughs> where it won't affect functionality. Right. Uh, no. But you um, know, so what we hear is. Um, and it, it's certainly possible that you can be robbed or yeah. killed or, you know, horrible things can happen in, in Mexico and in Central America. But, the, you know, you are equally, I would say, at risk right here to, I mean, we walk around bears. Uh, yeah. There are car accidents that happen all over the place. Sure. We've seen a couple, we think one of them may have been fatal, but we've seen some certainly fatal-esque <laughs> accidents on, just on our journey yeah um you know it happens all the time i mean we and just heard a story live of a, your life i mean you, you gotta know. live it yeah yeah you so. might want to consider registering with uh the state department letting yeah. them know your whereabouts and mm. knowing the uh the phone numbers of the local consulate just yeah. in case yeah in mexico we have 10 consulates so really that's pretty good yeah that's not bad coverage yeah. <laughs> it's better <laughs> most than... of them are on the border but yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can imagine. but we have one in hermosillo I, I actually would recommend going down through hermosillo Where's that? Uh, it's south of Arizona. Like you, you would cross below Tucson. Okay. You know, at Nogales. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Nogales, yeah. And Nogales has a consulate, and mm. then you go down, and I don't know, another three or four hours, and then you hit the city of Hermosillo. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's the pretty sure that's the best route for okay. safety because the Gulf Coast route is more dangerous. Yeah. Well, we wanted to go down Baja because we really liked Baja. We drove around. But the problem then is how do you get across? Take a ferry? Yeah, you take oh, the ferry okay. over to Mazatlan oh. uh, yeah. from La Paz. and um, That might be fun. Yeah, <laughs> it might be okay. I mean, because so many people do it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, that's, that's another thing, thing is if you can travel in right. a caravan, that's always helpful. Yeah, you yeah. Know, with safety in numbers. Yeah. yeah, safety in numbers. Yeah. Well, you've not done much to swash the grief of the people who are worried about us traveling. <laughs> well, I will say this. For example, um, um, once you hit Costa Rica, yeah, it gets good from there sure, because sure. Costa Rica and Panama are really safe. Yeah. 
Uh, Nicaragua used to be really safe. Right, right, right now they're going through a bit of a right. rough spot. But uh, you know, it's probably still pretty safe other than Managua. Um, and then um, in South America, it's one of the best times ever to travel there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, we're, I mean, we're enjoying and we're staying in the moment where we are. We're very happy to be in Alaska, but uh, we're very excited about well, the southern. You know, I, you know that I lived in. I just came from Ecuador like yeah. a couple of weeks ago, and. Yeah. I lived there for two years, drove everywhere, yeah. um, and uh, never had a single worry or no problem. Or you know. But avoid the cities if you can, right? I mean, if, if you're going to go into a city, be very careful, be very aware. Yeah. Do your research ahead of time. Stay in places that you've heard are fine. Right. Don't don't invite. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> a, that's yeah. the thing that um, you know. This isn't the we're not the first people doing this. You know, that's no. There, there's a, an enormous body of information right. out there to find out what's good and what's not. There are applications that you can put in your phone that'll tell you what you know that sort of thing. So it's it's for me. I mean, there's always fear. You know, there's always the the what ifs that exist in everything. Um, I think about them a lot. For, uh, and, Outside but as you said, you trip, can find you know. that anywhere. You, you can, can find, find that staying in one place. So yeah, yeah. most definitely. Gosh, yeah. we, you're, was it you or um, Elise that was telling us a story of someone getting killed by a rock falling out of the back of a truck? Yeah, just I mean around. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't me, but I heard that story. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. So that was someone. Just they weren't even a driver in a car; they're just a passenger, and all of a sudden a rock comes yeah. through the windshield. It can happen at any time. Yeah, you're just yeah. on the knife's edge at all times. So that's true. <laughs> on that positive <laughs> note. Um, My mom told me a story once. When, I think it was a true story. There was an astronaut that went to, I don't know, I don't know if he went to the moon or he went to outer space. He came home and slipped and died in his bathtub. Oh he drowned in his own bathtub after going to outer space. So, hey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. A legal drug killed Tom Petty and Prince. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, after all the crazy shit those guys had taken in their time, <laughs> it was a, it's something they could buy over the counter or, well, from a doctor that got, you know. Yeah, you just never know. What's, I think you guys will be fine because you seem like you're, you're, you know, sensible people, and you know, um, you probably have pretty good uh, spidey sense. That's what I'm guessing. Well, you obviously haven't listened to our show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't yet. So. <laughs> Man, well, thank you very much for for taking the time. Um, oh, you're welcome. Is there anything else you want to say to the world, people? Worried about America? Go USA. No, go USA. Um, <laughs> I mean, um, there's a lot of good news out there, mm. um, and the United States is doing a lot of good things. And uh, one of the things I've really admired seeing over the last uh, couple of years is how uh, nonpartisan my organization is. That they still do their job, even though maybe you know. A uh, number of people don't agree with yeah <laughs> with the the policies of the current administration. Yeah. They do their duty and mm. they support their elected leaders and uh, and things continue to you know a lot of really good things continue to happen in the name of the U.S. government because um, yeah. I'm a witness to it. I see it daily. Yeah. Um, and um, and so I still serve with pride. Yeah. And. Um, Still love my country, um, and um, I, I, I I don't know. I think that going now to Be I'm going to Beirut uh, yeah. in my next assignment. I'm learning Arabic. Um, you know, I've never shrunk away from things like that, and I and I like that about myself. You know, it's like yeah. I'm not. You're not afraid of it. 
No, I mean, maybe I'm kind of dumb. I mean, <laughs> you know, I guess I don't know what I'm getting myself into, but yeah. I've found over the course of my life that often better things happen when I'm courageous and I, yeah. you know, I say, you know what, I'm going to do this and see how it works out. And, yeah. You know, it's my choice and mm-hmm. I, I accept the consequences of my choice, but um, it, it, you know, there's a lot of good people in the world. Yeah. There really yeah, are. Majority. I had a friend from my hometown who'd never traveled very much. I'm not, I probably never been out of the United States unless they maybe went to Acapulco once or something like that. Mm. And this person said to me, why do you want to be over there living in this country where everybody hates Americans? <laughs> and I thought to myself, and she, I was in Singapore. First of all, <laughs> Singaporeans love Americans. And you know what? Not just Singaporeans. We're far more alike than we think. Um, in fact, in the Muslim world, you know what? And I, I witness to this. There are millions and millions and millions of people in the Muslim world that get the same message. They're like, why do the Americans hate us? And then they meet an American and it all goes away and they like yeah. us and we like them. Well, you know? I, I hope, I hope that. And so people should get out and see the and world. see the world, yeah. Because and the world's not that scary. No. And when you get out there and all of a sudden, all of those stereotypes and fears they just dissipate and you're like, wow, this person's just like me. Yeah. I remember sitting in a small Malaysian village watching the interactions of people. The women are all covered with hijabs, you know, with with head coverings. The men, um, you know, sitting around squatting on the floor, uh, smoking cigarettes because everybody there smokes. Um, and um, thinking to myself, the interactions I'm seeing and the way these people are and it's just like some small town in the United States. It's yeah. no, different. no different, honestly, yeah. really. Yeah. The way they interact, the way they... Yeah. And they found me amusing and strange and exotic. And uh, they like me. And, yeah. you know, I just smiled and spoke in my broken Malay as best I could. And, and that's how you end up with a Malaysian wife? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a Malaysian wife. <laughs> that's and, great. And uh, it's, um, um, you know, uh, they're fed with a whole bunch of lies about the United States. They are. And the United States has fed a whole bunch of lies about the Muslim world. Well, I I just want to see. No, there's no doubt in my mind about that. Well, so. I want to see the distinction between there's a there's a people and then there's a government. Yeah. And like you and I, I mean, I know we are meant to be the government, but we're we're not. We're just human beings. And everyone that you're going to meet is just a human being. A government is a concept. It's just an idea that's meant to represent a border that we made up and. Yeah, to to say a place hates America, well, maybe they do. Maybe they hate American military. Maybe they hate the government, but they don't hate just people. You no. know, it's not that those are false narratives that right. I think are, are are very damaging and and unfair. And it's a confusion. Well, it's of interesting concepts, too, though, because yeah. where do these narratives come from? Right, they're they're coming from media sources that are right. just they're they're incorrect. And, it, it's, and it's it's a weird way to communicate anyway. Yeah. I mean, you're always going to miss something in that message. The media you know, is mean, the message. But right. it's, it's, a, it's true that there are radical religious sure. people that do some really bad stuff right. in the world. There's no doubt about that. But they they, pres- they form such a minuscule percentage of, of that larger group. Sure. Um, and, and most people just want peace, prosperity, yeah. good life for their kids, a future... Yeah. That's what most people want. The fact that you're still upbeat about everything is, um, it's encouraging to me. Yeah. And that you're heading into a, a very tough situation still with that upbeat attitude. And you said something that struck me yesterday, which I very much adopt. Um, your expectations are low. Yep. 
And that mitigates disappointment. That's right. I expect it to be difficult and yeah. frustrating and, and um, dangerous. And, mm -hmm. you know, so, and I'm not sure how I'm going to deal with being, um, you know, in a place where I can't easily move about, which, uh, given the security situation there, it'll be like sure. that. But I did it in Mexico. And, um, you know, every everywhere that we work now in the U S foreign service, um, we're subject to a lot of rules and a lot of restrictions. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've lived through that before. Yeah. Um, and it, you still have opportunities to get to know the country. Sure. And, yeah. and, um, I've heard that people in, in, uh, the Muslim world, but especially like the North African, Middle Eastern world, the Arab world are some of the most hospitable people you'll ever meet. Yes. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure yeah. I'm going to make friends there. I'm certain you will. Yeah. I'm certain you will. Yeah. yeah they're... <laughs> and I think I'll really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, and um, you know what? I'm going to serve the United States and yeah. the U.S. interests. I'm going to do that. I'm, yeah. I, I swore an oath to do that, and I, and I take it seriously. Um, it and... strikes me that you just you serve. I know you serve this country, but you serve humanity and the better parts of humanity. In that you, um, you know, you're trying to facilitate. Uh, kind of a peace and love agenda you know i mean you're yeah. uh, there's security in there there's you're you're part of an apparatus that has... i've been fortunate so far that i've been in places where i can do that yeah yeah i mean you're i know there are war. places in the world where it's really hard because yeah. um you know there when there's war or you know yeah. heavy conflict that's very difficult yeah. i've got a buddy right now who's in pakistan hmm. doing amazing work wow i mean follow we follow each other on facebook and i'm like yeah. you know, like he's so inspiring that's beautiful you know, he's connected with all these youth in pakistan that's we need to do more of that yeah right. i think he's leaving there now but hopefully he'll continue to go to places where he, he's needed because yeah he was a former air force officer too that's cool it, he was a uh air force public relations officer so mm. he uh he has a long background doing what he does he's really good at it that's cool. yeah yeah he's a good good guy a lot of good guys. We have good people in the You're, foreign, you're good service. people, man. Yeah. I, I, we met you less than 24 yeah. hours ago, and I immediately knew. I was like, all right, this guy's cool, and he's very... I like my organization. You know, yeah. we're not, lim you know, namsy-pamsy liberals, and, you know, we're realists. We live in the real world. We work with the military a lot. We're, right. Um, we represent the United States. When those uh, Republican Congress people come to abroad, they get treated well. And, you know, the um, president tried to strip our budget down i'm not talking about something that's my opinion this is just a fact the reality yeah and uh congress blocked it yeah and congress blocked it because they know what we do yeah and they know the importance of what we do and uh, we know we support them and we support the american people they know that yeah and a lot of the people that made that decision they're republicans so <laughs> that warms my heart yeah. and remember <laughs> what i said about my ambassador yes. in uh, singapore yes I he do. was a large part of that because yeah. they they know what we do yeah. they really do so, I'm, I'm glad to know more about what you do you know, well i want to get the word out because yeah. you know i mean the american people should know what we're doing for them and, right. and the value of it because there's certain element that wanted to just gut us and right. and, and right you know um and that's like a shame because we're important yeah and you know what there are more people in military bands <laughs> than in the entire u.s foreign service we're tiny Wow. I forget how big we are, but we're less, I think we're less than 10,000. Really? Which is, I mean, the military well, has millions. How many bands do we have? Jeez. We have a lot of bands. That's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Or, or I think they said at one point you could take the entire core of the U.S. Foreign Service and put them on one aircraft carrier. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. bananas. Yeah. That's bananas. So, I mean, the Pentagon budget yeah. know, dwarfs uh, uh, the, the State Department. Yeah. That's well, just a fact. It's I, not my opinion. 
uh, you know, it, like I said, it's a tough job. And I, I, I think I told you last night about my pal who was uh, who fell in love with the woman from Iran and oh, yeah. that yeah, whole thing. That. And and you know, the it's interesting that I'm getting the opportunity to talk to you, someone who works in that very job, because yeah. the the hang up in his the the person that he was focused on was someone at the U.S. Consulate, you know, that was trying to 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 negotiate the deal to get the fiance visa and all yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear your perspective and your take on it, and and what motivates that job. You know, it's it can be a hard job sometimes, yeah. right? I mean, but I, I, I'd go back to what I said earlier about how we're your friend was dealing with an immigrant visa, and yeah. we're just bound by law sure. to follow no, the no, law, I mean, whatever it is. I, we gather the facts and, and apply I the get law. It. I so, get it. Some no. ways it's comforting, right? But then we really try to help where we can, yeah. and we try to inform people so sure. they know, um, you know, what the laws are, what the rules are. Um, and with the with the tourist visa, it's just about going in and convincing a consular officer that sure. you know you you intend to use the visa appropriately. Right, and it I think down to that. in his circumstance, a, a lot of what was prohibitive wasn't necessarily just the the guy doing the job it was the set of rules that have come down right <laughs> from way on above high. his level there yeah they're, yeah they're, from a, uh, it's u.s law right yeah, yeah. set by some uh, crazy crazy person well <laughs> there were reasons for the laws but uh, well, they haven't, the most, been, the they most haven't been changed in a long time that's the problem yeah. and, and you know it's just the the discussions that mm. the country has had um over immigration are so they're so polarized yeah, that yeah, you know we can't agree on anything and so nothing changes and so we're 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 staying with the same law that's been in place for a long time and hasn't adapted to local to, right. to more recent realities in realities, the world yeah. yeah and well i was referring mostly to the the ban on people from oh, muslim countries. the muslim ban <laughs> the muslim yeah <laughs> yeah i'm not going to talk about that i fair I, enough yeah. you know no no i, I i'm not going to ask you i wouldn't i wouldn't do it but um i am like I said, I keep telling you how grateful I am for you to oh, come in and talk. Oh, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're very welcome. I've enjoyed this. You're a good interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most that. generous thing you've said yet. <laughs> I hope what what I've said doesn't get me in trouble. I don't think so. I don't think I've said anything. Yeah, well, I'll, uh, but I'll yeah. send you an edit before you know, before <laughs> okay. I publish. I promise. Yeah. Well, for the most part, I imagine most of the folks that listen to you are, you know. Not in the State Department. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. Or not going to be offended and write their congressman. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, you know, I, that's the thing. We're, I, I think if you are offended by this, uh, write me and tell me. Uh, <laughs> write, you know, let's let's have a dialogue about it because the being offended about it is perfectly okay. And I think the polarization in this country yeah. isn't about No, I mean, I'm pretty sure, yeah. if anything, I guess maybe one of the things I've been trying to do is address a li- what I assume is a mostly liberal audience with some good news, you know, mm-hmm. so you're not totally depressed. I mean, and because people ask me, they're like, how can you, you know... Work for this guy. Yeah, how can you do this? And I'm like, well, you know, I... Because uh, you care, uh, it's country before well, party. And, you know, when you and, see countries that are a mess, countries that have all sorts of... Like, Venezuela is a good example. I'll just use it right now. It's, uh, I mean, I can say this. I'm not working in Venezuela. It's it's, it's a total chaos. And... Uh, People are desperate. It's like reduced to like a barter economy. You know, the inflation's out of control. It's just a country in collapse. You know, and then you compare what's happened in Venezuela where the country's just simply falling apart. And there were people in the liberal side of things in the United States that thought Hugo Chavez and this was a real people's revolution and it was going to be a something along the lines of the Cuban revolution, which whatever you want to say about the Cuban revolution, it was far more effective because there's, a, there's an order there. And, and the government's in charge and 
there are some things that work pretty well there you, mm. you know like the medical system and, right. and we can i'm not going to go there but yeah, like you're not an apologist is, for the castro family no but venezuela is not cuba it's just it's chaos it's, it's, chaos. it's a, some mm. it's a country that's fallen apart mm. and so the revolutionaries did a, ba- a bad job mm. and they ruined the country and i'm not saying there weren't problems that created the sure. so-called revolution but the revolution has been a disaster for that country the united states on the other hand we have institutions which a lot of countries in the world don't have especially in latin america they haven't built strong institutions that can stand up to whims and changes in the political ties and i, and I think it, it, it's something worth mentioning right i mean if you look at the united states everything you know everyone on the liberal side thought the world was falling apart and you know, it was chicken little running around and and yet honestly things haven't changed all that much yet change is change is slow right, right. and 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 that's a great thing mm. because we've built institutions that were built to last and you know in some countries when a when a new president is elected they change everybody they fire the entire government right. down to the dog catcher and the local librarian and to start over and in the united states that does not happen 90 something percent of the people stay right in place and they are dedicated civil servants who have worked for both democrats and republicans through several minutes you know through and that's a really really good thing because our government doesn't just radically change overnight yeah yeah and it didn't and it's you know worth bearing that in mind we're not venezuela thank goodness um uh and um you know, uh, and, and, and like, for example, in, in Nicaragua, what's happening there right now, a lot of that is about, you know, the Sandinistas had a just revolution. Not everyone would agree with that statement, but I'm going to say it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they got rid of a really, really bad dictator, took over the country, made a lot of good positive changes for the average person there, especially the poor people. They reduced um, illiteracy rates they 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 helped uh, bring down infant mortality rates and then they there were a lot of uh, idealistic young people from the united states europe and canada that went down there and helped the revolution really made a difference for the for the average person and guess what the institutions they never for whatever reason they were never built Mm. and so all that wonderful work right they're just practically back to where they started and now you know you've got the Daniel Ortega, I don't think he's a good person. I don't think he's a good administrator. And I I think the country's back where it was when the Sandinistas overthrew Somoza. Mm-hmm. Sandinistas turned into, I mean, not Sandinista, uh, uh, Daniel Ortega has turned into uh, Somoza. Now he's suppressing the rights of the, you know, the press and uh, reneging on, on um, pensions and, you know, mm-hmm. basically betraying the workers that, trusted the government right. I, i'm just saying those those institutions never emerged yeah. and in the united states they've been solid for over yeah. you know 200 and something years and so yeah i know you cannot directly talk shit about your boss so i'll do it for you <laughs> you know i i get i get where you're going with that that in spite of um what's clearly just quackery at the highest level uh, ordering things around there is there's an apparatus in place that's mm-hmm. not going to fall apart in spite of having a horrible leader. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, anybody can see that. I mean, yeah. really, what's changed for the average American? 
You know, this is all entertainment. It's all squawk, squawk, squawk out there. It's just embarrassing. It's well, it's sure. embarrassing, and it's uh, it's morally kind of repugnant. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that really that matter on different scales. But, there, uh, there, there are some things that are. There's always things that are embarrassing. And, yeah, you know, yeah, um, yeah, true. Um, but um, yeah. it makes things a little bit tougher, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm, yeah, I'm you, doing visa work. I go. Good luck in Beirut, <laughs> my man. Good luck in Beirut. Yeah, it. man. Well, hey. Wish you the very best of luck. Thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah. Do you know how to say goodbye in Arabic yet? Uh, no, I should. I uh, learned it, it, and I went in one. Well, assalam is assalam alaikum is a greeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not like Hawaii where you can say no. assalam. It means hello and goodbye. <laughs> I know where if you, I know you know alhamdulillah, which is you know um, God willing. And, well, know, inshallah is another God willing. Yeah, inshallah. I think alhamdulillah is more like uh, praise God or yeah. I don't know. Allahu Akbar is praise God. Yeah. I know the first book of the Quran. Yeah? Yeah, I can recite it. Oh, that's so, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. That's a good start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going to be a challenge, but it keeps you young. Yeah, right. <laughs> or ages you <laughs> prematurely. One of those two. <laughs> oh, gosh, I hope not. <laughs> Cheers. See the dwarfs and see the giants. Which one would you choose to be? And if you can't get that together, here's the answer, here's the key. You can freeze like a 30-century man, like a 30-century man. I'll save my breath and take it with me till a hundred years or so. Shame you won't be there to see me Shaking hands with Charles de Gaulle Play it cool and saran wrap all you can Be a 30-century man You can freeze like a 30-century man Like a 30-century man Hi, Tiffany here, saying thank you for listening to the Monkey Tooth Podcast. If you haven't already, or it's been a while, check out our website, mtp.dog. There's plenty of information there. An About tab with a little bio on Andrew, myself, and our dog Pele. There's also a Van Build tab, detailing how we did our van conversion. A Journal tab, and we, as an Andrew, are doing our best to keep that up to date. And last but not least, a contact tab where you can leave your thoughts, suggestions, or questions. You can also contact us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram, Monkey Tooth Podcast. If you would like to donate and or subscribe to the cause, you can go to Patreon and GoFundMe at Monkey Tooth Podcast. Patreon is not just a place to subscribe. We post lots of content there as well. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you. Love to all.